A gift of time, a fitting name for a clock shop located in Loma Linda. People in this inland empire enclave, 70 miles east of LA, see more new days than practically any place else on the planet. Hi. Benita Welliber is a hundred, a spring chicken compared to her neighbor, Betty Streisling. I feel great. Betty's 102. Lots of communities have centenarians, but Loma Linda is a so-called blue zone, designated by National Geographic as one of the five longest-living communities in the world. The average life expectancy here is anything but average. Mine would be about 89 years. Dr. Brian Bull is a pathologist, blood researcher, and former dean of the Loma Linda University Medical School. Now, being male automatically shortens my lifespan uh, by about two years. Nothing I can do about that. But in Loma Linda, the average man makes it to 89, compared to the national average for men, which is just 78. The average woman here lives to 91. That's huge. It is huge because for the uh, females in the general population, it's about 81 years. But Loma Linda is not a general population community. There are different values and a different lifestyle here. We're thankful our Heavenly Father for this new day, for this good food. When it became obvious that Adventists were living a lot longer, even the federal government got curious as to why this might be the case. Here, the body is a temple. A typical Loma Linda breakfast isn't bacon and eggs. It's hot oatmeal or granola, spiked with flaxseed, nuts, and plenty of berries. This spin class at the local fitness center is as fierce as it gets, and the regular riders are all over 60. I'm 65, 63, 75 years old. Dr. Bull says fitness, science, religion, they all work together in his hometown. Among Adventists... Science has always been looked upon with approval. But never at the expense of being observant. Come here any Saturday, the labs are quiet, local businesses are closed, and you won't find much work going on, but you will find the chapel full. Saturday, which is the Sabbath, we go to church, meet with friends and family. Who's ready to move to Loma Linda? I mean, that sounds pretty good, right? It's like the fountain of youth they found there. What is it that they're doing? in Yoma Linda, California, and four other blue zones that National Geographic and other researchers have identified. One in Okinawa, just uh, an island uh, on southern Japan, uh, one in Greece, one in Italy, and one in Costa Rica, and then this one in California. Well, they're doing the things that fit rather well with our Five Habits of Highly Effective Christian series that we're looking at uh, during this month of January as we kick off this new year, a year where we're focusing in on God and us in real life, over the last few weeks, we've talked about the habit of weekly worship and daily devotions and how that blesses us in our faith, but also gives us uh, more joy. Uh, statistically speaking, according to the research, uh, longer lives, uh, hap uh, greater happiness, I already said that, more joy, longer lives and healthier uh, physically. Uh, growing, they're doing that in Loma Linda too. They're worshiping weekly. They, they set it aside. They have a Sabbath day. They take it seriously. They do daily devotions and daily prayer. They're growing in their faith through discipleship. Preached on that week two of this year. Last week, Pastor Jeremy and others preached on love and how that's activated and brings justice to the world. It's the ultimate power move. Brings life to us uh, and to the world around us. Today, we zoom in on number four. And next week, it's number five. Number four, it's this other thing they're doing in Loma Linda, and you're getting just a taste of it at the end of that in video. They're doing life together. They're doing it in community. They're doing it in fellowship as sisters and brothers in Christ. This is what the Bible says in Acts chapter 2. It says these same kinds of things, these habits of highly effective Christians are here in the description of what the Christian church looked like on the day it was born. Acts chapter 2 tells the story of the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit descends from heaven, fills people up with the power of God. Extraordinary, miraculous things are happening. Uh, mighty winds and tongues of fire and people speaking in tongues and languages they didn't know and people understanding those languages. There's confusion. There's thousands of people who are there in the holy city of Jerusalem. So Peter steps forward now that Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's not there. So Peter steps forward and says, let me clarify for you. Some of you are saying that these people have had too much wine to drink today. That's not it. What's happening was prophesied centuries ago. It's in the Old Testament today. 
that the day will come when the Holy Spirit, when God will be present with all people in all places at all times, and he'll fill us up with the power of his love. That love personified most profoundly through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter proclaims. This good news, this gospel message of hope. When people hear this good news, this gospel message proclaimed, they're cut to the heart. They come up to the disciples, Peter among them, and they say, what should we do? And Peter and the other disciples say, repent, change the way you think, and come and be baptized. Come and and start to live this new life. Verse 41, the verse right before this passage, says that on that day, 3,000 people were baptized into the church. The birthday of the church, the day it was born. It started that day with just a small group of disciples, just a group of people who were following Jesus. It ended that day as a megachurch, a church of thousands of people in one day. But instead of grumbling about it, instead of saying, oh, it's just too big. You could never get to know everybody in that church. There's just no possible way. You know what the Bible never says? The goal of the Christian life is to get to know everybody in your church. It just doesn't say that in God's word. That's something that people say. And we say that usually based on our own experience once upon a time. Do not misunderstand my heart. If you're new to hope today, wherever you are here in this room in West Des Moines, in one of our overflow rooms in the building, at a local site, at a campus of hope, wherever you might be, If you're worshiping with us online, which is where most people are right now who are hearing my voice live, I want you to hear this. I don't believe that bigger is better when it comes to churches. I don't believe smaller is better when it comes to churches. I believe better is better when it comes to churches. Churches that fit this description, the biblical description of what highly effective Christians do, of what we're called to be, of the way we're supposed to do life, of the way they're doing, not perfectly, but better than other communities around the world in Loma Linda, California. You know the other thing about all these blue zones around the world? They're all deeply religious. Every single one of these identified, statistically researched, identified blue zones, these places where people live on average a decade longer than the rest of the world, they're happier, they're healthier. Every single one of these communities is deeply religious. It's woven into the fabric of who they are. Turns out that the ancient wisdom, 2,000 years old, of God's word that was delivered to his people on the day the church was born still stands today. Better is better. But we don't look around church and say, well, I don't want to be in a church that's so small or I don't want to be in a church that's so big. It doesn't matter. Biblically, it's irrelevant. What matters is, do you have sisters and brothers in Christ that you're doing life together with? Everybody say life together. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles. These are the habits of highly effective Christians and churches. They commit themselves to the teaching of God's word. What we're doing right here, right now in this moment. They did life together. They shared common meals. They shared prayers together. They followed a daily discipline of worship by the thousands. Now they're 3,000 strong. And every day they'd show up for worship in the temple and they'd worship together. Like we're doing right here, right now, by the thousands. They worshiped together in the temple. But then that was followed up by meals at home. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful. Their homes were not that big. You couldn't put the whole church in their homes. Which, of course, absolutely suggests that they had broken into small groups, which is what they do in Loma Linda, which is what they do in other healthy communities. We break into groups. In the midst of this megachurch, you find your place. You find your sisters and brothers in Christ that you do life together with. Let me ask you the most basic, simple question I can ask in a way that I can ask, in the simplest way that I think this will give you kind of the idea of what the Bible is saying here. Who are you doing life together with? Who are your sisters and brothers in Christ within this church family? If you can't answer that question, it's time to change. It's time to take on this highly effective habit. If nobody comes to mind, you say, well, I come to church. I show up or I tune in and I worship online or, or I go wherever and I, and I like it. And I'm, worship is great. Yep, worship is essential. Go back a screen. It's one of the things of highly effective Christians. And it's one of the things that research, where the research affirms what God's word says, that it makes us happier, healthier. We live longer. All those things are true. But the best bonus is it strengthens our relationship with God. Now move back forward to the Acts 2 text. 
That's life together. There's a Greek word for this English translation, and it's koinonia. That means life together. Everyone, let's say it together. It's just a fun word to say. Koinonia. Everyone? I don't know why it's such a fun word. It just is. By definition, literal definition from original Greek, it means more than just life together. It means a spiritual partnership. Do you have something like that in your life? It means fellowship, sharing together, a common spirit, social interaction, life together in Christ, in community. It means communion. So we're going to do communion at the end of this sermon. Some of you hear that and you're like, what? That's against the rules. In this church, we have rules, and we only do communion on the first Sunday of the month at these services, and then we do it every week at some of the other services, but this is one of the services where we only have wine once a month, and I'm going to become a drunk if I do that. What's going to happen? <laughs> or something like that. It's okay. It's all right. We're going to do this because I don't want to just talk about communion and koinonia. I want to give you an opportunity to have a taste, just a small step. It's not going to, you know, like be the whole complete deal, but it's, this is what the Bible says. It's a foretaste of the heavenly feast to come. It's a reminder of how we were created to do life together. Lone Ranger Christianity doesn't work. And maybe, just maybe, the reason you feel spiritually dry these days, because you're going it alone. It's just you and God and this private relationship and this private religion that you've developed and that you're pursuing and that you're seeking. And it's all about you filling up your own mind and consuming the faith and consuming spirituality and consuming Jesus and trying to get the, as much out of it as you can for you. No wonder you're stuck. Because that's not what Christianity is. Not biblically. The biblical description says we're going to do life in koinonia. We're going to do it together. We're going to do it in community, in communion with one another. We're going to be drawn together, not by the, the teams we cheer for. Sorry, Packer fans, this has got to be a rough weekend. <laughs> and I do feel bad. No clapping. Now that's just mean. <laughs> Come on. The starting wide receiver for the Packers grew up in this church. He's still a member. He's probably worshiping with us right now. We love you, Alan. Tell your quarterback to throw you the ball more than once in a game. Maybe instead of throwing it to the guy who's double teamed all the time, they should see that you're wide open on almost every play. Did I say that out loud? Oh gosh, I thought I was just thinking it inside. I thought it a lot last night. Man, he was wide open. I mean, wide open. And your Hall of Fame quarterback, you Packer fans, apparently has a vision issue he needs to look at. Anyway. Do you know why I'm passionate about that? Because I got koinonia with Alan Lazard. He's a part of a family here. He's a part of our church. We're doing life together. He's a brother in Christ. Who are your brothers? Who are your sisters? Who are you doing life together with? You know, it's the Bible that says this, and that ought to be enough for us, but it's always fascinating to me when the science and the research affirms it, as it almost always does eventually. Dr. Susan Pinker, who's a psychologist and a columnist for the Wall Street Journal and an author, she was a part of this study and, and oversaw part of it, and she concluded, what are the strongest predictors that we saw in this study of how long you'll live? Is it diet, exercise? Of course those things matter. Your body's a temple. Be careful what you put into it. Take care of it. Be a faithful steward of your body. Of course what you eat is going to affect your your health and, and your well-being physically and, and your longevity in life. Of course it matters. All these things do. Diet, exercise, marital status, smoking, drinking, all the stuff we usually put at the top of the list. But according to the research, Dr. Pinker goes on to say, on tens of thousands of middle-aged people, it's close relationships and social integration that is the strongest predictor of how long you're going to live. You can't keep going it alone if you want to be happy, if you want to be healthy. If you want to live a full life, an abundant life, as Jesus says in John 10. Dr. Pinker has this chart that she's fond of showing. She says, here's what our research shows, that clean air extends your life this much, you know, according to the graph, relative to these other things. Uh, getting your hypertension, your blood pressure numbers in check extends it even more. Uh, watching your BMI, your body mass index, your lean instead of overweight is going to give you more life. You're, you're going to live longer on average. Exercise even more. Cardiac rehab if you've had heart issues, even more. The flu vaccine, a little bit of a surprise, even more. 
quit boozing. Don't you love it when a doctor's like, well, I'm going to call this category quit boozing. <laughs> if you're boozing, stop, and you'll live longer. If you're boozing, it's not good for you. It's going to take years off your life. Quit smoking. But look what's at the top of the list by far. The top two, close relationships and social integration. That's what will add more years to your life than anything else you could possibly do. How's that going for you? You say, well, I'm just, no, I'm an introvert. That's nothing to do with it. I am too. But you still are called to do life in community, together, to find your family within this megachurch, to find your sisters and brothers in Christ, to find the people you do life together with. I'm preaching to people who are just saying amen inside right now because you've been in the same group for 10, 15, 20 plus years, and you tell me over and over and over again, Oh, you didn't have to come to the hospital to visit me. My group was already here. Yeah, I, 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 I know the transformational power of groups. Transformation happens best in small groups. Life happens best. We find our stride. We find our meaning. It blesses us. It keeps us alive. It makes us happier. It makes us healthier. Best of all, it strengthens your relationship with God. You can't go it alone like this. Another researcher, Dr. Waldinger from Harvard, Robert Waldinger, is the director of the Harvard University Study of Adult Development. He's the third director in this study because the study started in 1938, and that guy died, and then the guy who followed him died, and now Dr. Waldinger has been leading this study since the 1970s. And he's done this mass, they started with a bunch of sophomores at Harvard back in 1938 at the height of the Depression, and they said, we want to follow you the rest of your lives. We're going to check in with you in a research, very, you know, social science uh, it, 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 with full integrity kind of way. We're going to check in with you regularly and ask about the quality of your life, find out if you're still living, find out how things are going, find out how happy you are. We're going to follow you the rest of your life. And then they've expanded it over the decades. This is an 80-plus year study to include spouses and children and grandchildren. So it's this massive study, uh, tens of thousands of pages of data, thousands of people involved over three generations. There's no other study like this, nothing even close or comparable in its breadth and its length and its depth. Dr. Waldinger says, what have we learned? Above, and above everything else, good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period, and nothing else even comes close. Think about this in your life. Reflect over your life, even if you're a kid, if you're young. Think about the highlights of your life, the greatest moments in your life. How many of those were staring at a screen, binging another show on Netflix? Scrolling mindlessly through social media just because you've got nothing else to do that you can think of? Or has it been the highlights of your life, moments that you shared together with somebody else? A loved one, a friend, a family member. A moment, a highlight moment of pure joy. Maybe we're chasing after the wrong things, and that's not to diminish the the wonderful importance of the occasional binge-watching Netflix show. Fine. Or social media. Fine. Do it. Or, or whatever else it might be. But those aren't going to be life highlights, folks. You were made for more. You were made for more than the highlight of your life being watching the game today. A game that you'll probably forget about. Have you noticed? I've noticed I'm a massive sports fan. Here's what I've noticed. That if I can't see the game, that's the worst. If I can watch the game on TV, that's better. If I can be at the game, that's even better. If I can play in the game, that's like the best. All right, follow that metaphor in your faith. If you can't connect to the body of Christ that's in any way, that's awful. If you can worship online because that's the best thing for you to do right now during this season or you're an at-risk potential health patient or you have COVID, if you have COVID, please stay home. Do the body of Christ a favor, right, until you get better. Whatever the reason might be, but that's better. You, through the miracles of digital communication, we're still one church. We're still a church in thousands of locations right now. Even better to show up 
and worship together in person with the body of Christ. Even better still, to live that out in community, in koinonia, in communion. It's the same way in so many different things. It's one thing to watch the TV show. It's, it's another thing to be in the studio to see it taped live. It's another thing to be one of the characters in the TV show. You're called into the game. You're not called just to watch Jesus, just to observe. You're called to do it in community, together. Lone Ranger Christianity doesn't work. Dr. Waldinger goes on to say these three things deeper into the data. Uh, pretty obvious things, but I'll just hit them quick. Loneliness kills. Good relationships lead to, as, we, as I've said, more happiness, better health, longer life. Just like the Bible says, loneliness is toxic. And here's the problem. 20% of Americans were lonely before COVID. Now it's 45%. I want you to hear a couple of things if that's you. If it's 45%, you're far from alone. So no guilt, no shame, no, no, no indication that the reason you're alone is you've messed something up. One out, of a four, one out of four Americans lives alone. That doesn't mean they're lonely, but it raises the potential for it to happen. There's a, there's a huge problem that comes with this pandemic that goes beyond just the physical risks, which are real. It's the spiritual risks, it's the emotional risks, it's the mental risks. It's the stuff that happens to us because we aren't doing the one thing that all the research shows, affirming what the Bible says, that we were made to do life in community. With sisters and brothers, with people who who will encourage us and support us, but also hold us accountable and, and tell us to get back in line when we start to wander off. Who do you have like that? Who are you doing Christianity with? Who are you doing this life that God has called you to live together with? Loneliness kills, and it's growing. I mean, it's a huge problem. Almost half the people who can hear my voice right now, you call yourself lonely. I have really good news for you today. It doesn't have to stay like that. There are hundreds of doors that are opening up for you right here in this mega church called Lutheran Church of Hope. Places where if you aren't already connected like a big chunk of our church is, but a big chunk isn't. And here's the other thing that's happened. If we're going to talk about the elephant in the room, a lot of the groups we used to have two years ago have faded away. Because of the distancing, because we're isolated, because of this pandemic, because we aren't getting together as much as we used to. Because we've lost the good habits of highly effective Christians. Let's get them going again. Loneliness kills, number one. Number two, also obvious quality counts. It's quality, not quantity of relationships that matters most. You got 2.3 million followers on TikTok. Great. How many of them do you trust? How many of them are you in a deep friendship with? How many of them would be there for you if you were hospitalized? How many of them would you be there for? How many, how many would celebrate with you the, the high points of your life and would show up to do it? It's quality of relationships, not quantity that counts. More important than cholesterol numbers is how satisfying your relationships are, according to the Harvard research, according to Scripture, which the research affirms. The quality of your relationships is more important to your happiness, your health, and your longevity than your cholesterol numbers, which are important. They matter. They count. But man, we give a lot of attention to things that aren't the most important. Who are you doing life with? Who are you having this koinonia with in your life? Number three, the master key in all of this is trust and forgiveness. That's what quality friendships and relationships look like. You have to trust the person. The person has to trust you. There has to be grace because have you learned this yet? I certainly have with my men's group. The longer we're together, the less impressed we are with one another. Because we start to see each other. The, the strength, we, we're more impressed with the strengths. Like, man, you are just like better at that than anybody I know. But holy smokes, I didn't know how bad you were at some of these things too. So we see each other. Isn't that the sign of a really healthy marriage too? You get to know each other so well, you see strengths and weaknesses, but you still choose love. You still have grace for that person. I mean, that's, that's the only reason she's still with me, isn't it? Right? Hi, baby. How you doing? <laughs> it's grace. Grace has to be at the foundation of our relationship. There has to be forgiveness. Colossians 3 says this. 
Forgive one another freely like this. When relationships go bad, memory slips, statistically. According to the research, mind and body tend to slip. When you have good relationships, the, the woman at the beginning, Loma Linda, who's 100, and then her friend who's 102, you know why they're so happy? Lots of reasons. They go to church, they eat healthy, they exercise, <laughs> the spin class where everybody's 60 plus, that's humbling and impressive, right? And they're just gunning it as they go. Absolutely awesome. They do all those things. But at the top of the list, they have koinonia. They have community. They have sisters and brothers in Christ. They do life together. They have people to support them. People who are living, with them, living through life with them. Doing life together. It matters. Some of you will hear this. All of us at some point in our lives will hear this and go, I'm more like the psalmist right now. Psalm, 100, or Psalm 25, verse 16, turn to me and have mercy, God, for I'm alone and I'm in deep distress, especially the last couple of years. The isolation is killing me, and I really don't know. I mean, depression rates are way up, anxiety rates are way up, burnout rates are way up, loneliness quotients are way up. We could pretend it isn't happening and just, you know, skate around on the surface and not talk about these things. Or we could do what our theme is this year at Hope and do God and us in real life. And we can find the hope that God has for us when we fall into these darker kind of ditches, into these places that aren't good for our health, our happiness, or our longevity. Like the psalmist. It's not just us. It's not just a COVID invention. It's been a part of human existence from the beginning of time. Turn to me and have mercy, God, somebody's crying out, for I'm alone and in deep distress. Maybe that's your psalm today. Well, God will turn to you. God will help you. God will be present with you. He'll start by telling you you're not alone because I'm with you. But he's got more for you than that, too. He says, I've got friends for you. Maybe you just haven't met them yet. Maybe you just haven't connected with them yet. Maybe it's time. So I don't want to just tell you, you know, what the Bible says and how the research affirms it and, and how important this is and, and the studies and the stats. I want to tell you how. I want to point you to these hundreds of doors that are opening up around hope, these easy doors for you to walk through. We're making them as wide and as easy to walk through as we possibly can because your happiness depends on it. Mine too. Our health, our well-being, our longevity, our faith depends on it. We were made to do Christianity together in Koinonia. So five quick things, and then we'll, uh, we'll have some wine. Number one, figure out where you are. Take an inventory. Where are you at socially? Where do you want to go? What needs to change in order for you to get there? Remember the old R.E.M. song? from the 80s or maybe it was the 90s. Stand in the place where you are. Remember the video? Now face north, think about direction, wonder why you. Maybe you don't recognize it the way I'm singing it. <laughs> that happens to me a lot when I sing. I'll say, Sally, remember this song? She's like, not the way you're singing it, I don't. No, I'll get to it. I have no idea if the lyrics of that song have anything to do with this, but let's pretend they do. Stand where you are. Now, now face north. Now think about direction. Wonder why you never have before. Think about where you are and where you want to go. Think about the highlights of your life and what needs to happen. What ingredients need to be in that soup in order for it to come out the right way? Well, you're going to need friends. You're going to need connections. You're going to need community. You're going to need more than the football game today. You're going to, you're going to need more than the, the next show on Netflix. You're, you're going to need more than, than, than finding more followers on, on Instagram. What needs to change in order for you to get there? And here's the part that's kind of humbling and, and hard. All of us have some things in us that need to change. It's not always just them is the reason why we're lonely. Sometimes it's us. And so we do that spiritual inventory. We say, you know, maybe, maybe I could have a little more grace and mercy <laughs> Maybe I could lower my expectations in thinking fallen sinful human beings could be perfect and when they're not perfect, they are dismissed from my life. Maybe a little more grace. Maybe a little more forgiveness. What needs to change? Number two, remember it's a marathon, not a sprint. Healthy relationships take time. This is not a quick fix kind of, we're gonna take care of this in one sermon. This is like step one of a marathon. 
There's 26 plus miles to go here. But you're not going to cross the finish line until you take that first step. Until if you're in the wheelchair race, until you start spinning the wheels. Until you start to go. Take that, make that first move. Take that first step. Healthy friendships take time. Be patient, but keep moving forward. One step at a time. Don't just have grace for other people. Have some grace for yourself. This is not a fad diet. Those don't work anyway, you know. You can lose 104 pounds in three days if you just take this pill. Or if you just, you know, subscribe to our program. How convenient that is for them. And then it'll all fall off. And then how long does it stay off? This is not fad spirituality. This is transformation. This is changing the way we think about what matters most in life. This is living the life our creator created us to live. Like they do in Loma Linda. Imperfectly, but better than the rest of the world. Like they do in other blue zone communities around the world. Like people do who live in any community who find the life that God created us to live. Who find their rhythm. Who get in step. So, number two, be patient. And number one, take the, take the inventory. Number two, be patient. Number three, don't be intimidated by the crowd. You say, how could I ever find community in a church this big? How could that possibly be? Because I show up on Sundays, I show up for worship, whatever campus I'm at, whatever local site, I, I show up, I, I come, I come faithfully, religiously, I show up, I worship, it's great, it's awesome, because that's one of the habits of highly effective Christians, it feeds my soul, but I don't make connections with other people. How am I supposed to make connections? I mean, I'm waiting for that to happen, but nobody comes up and says hi to me. Maybe that's because they're new and they're waiting for you to come up to them and say hi to them. Somebody's got to take the first step. Somebody's got to break the ice. Somebody's got to make the move. This is a picture of my college, uh, Concordia College. Once upon a time, uh, I was a first-year student up there in Moorhead, Minnesota. And um, it, you think it's cold here. Whew. Man, winters up there were something. This is not a picture from my freshman year, but it, it's more recent. But boy, does it look familiar to me. Because your first-year students at Concordia College in Moorhead have this over 100-plus-year tradition of you have to wear a beanie until your football team scores the first touchdown of the season. Thank goodness our team was good. But it's still some time between day one of school and the first home football game. So we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And the upperclassmen would enforce the rules in ways that I'm not going to get into, but it was, it was really something. So you were just better to go with the beanie and, and just wear it. You wore it to class. You wore it to, to, to your three meals of the day. You, you wore it when you went out socially, which was weird. But, but you did it. And so everybody would identify you as a first-year student, right? I remember when I showed up first day of college my first year, my dad drove me up from Chicago where I grew up. And this is a long ways away. Back when the speed limit was 55, yes, it was 55 back then. It took 12 hours to get from our house in Chicago to my college by car. I'm 12 hours away from home. I know one other person, one other student, who's my roommate, who we're old buddies from way back when, and he ends up going there, and I end up going there, so we're like, well, let's be roommates. One of my dearest friends, lifelong friends. But he's all I knew. That was it. Every other student I saw on campus that first day, I didn't know who on earth they were. I had no idea. And so I was scared. I was intimidated. And back then, I mean, you know, it was different. I, I, I didn't get all the, you know, stuff that first-year students get today. And I'm not saying this is better or worse, but man, has it changed. Now, when you bring a first-year student to college, you'd get a caravan of U-Hauls. And, and you, you know, you shoot them up there, and then you, you hire a designer who's going to come in, right, and, and set up the dorm room for Precious to make sure everything is just perfect. And, and, and Dad and Grandpa and Uncle Joe is in there, and they're putting the whole thing together, and they're piecing it all, making sure it's just this masterpiece that would be like, uh, you know, a flipper flop worthy. And it's just it's going to blow away everybody else. And, and you come, it's just this huge production, and the parents never really leave, and they linger and they stay. And do you need anything else? Can we buy you anything else? Can we get you anything else? Again, not better or worse, but when I was a first year student, my dad said, here, put your bags in the back. He drove me up to Minnesota. He got out of the car, popped the trunk, took my bags out, gave me a hug, said he loved me, said, good luck. 
and they drove away. And that was it. Not better or worse. Just not quite so coddled, you know, just a little different. So I show up in this sea of thousands of beanie-wearing students, and I wonder, how am I ever find my place here? How could I ever find my place in a church of thousands? How could I ever connect? How could I ever find my friends? Man, those four years, socially, near the top of the highlight of my life. Such great lifelong friends. Do you know why? In part because within a few hours of that first day, they moved us from a sea of thousands of college students to small groups, just like this one. They divided us into 50 or 60 different groups, and they had leaders for us, and we did everything together as a group for the first two weeks. We, we ate every meal together, we socialized together, we hung out together, we, we, we did everything together. And we developed friendships that, that are still friendships in my life. With that small group, who do you have like that? Where are you getting connected like this? It, it matters. It makes all the difference. So let's experiment with this. And this is going to be really awkward for the introverts, and I'm okay with that. I'm an introvert too, but I, I promise we won't do it for very long. But wherever you are, if you're able, I want you to stand up and I want you to go say hi to somebody you don't know and, and learn their name and say their name and say, hey, name, I'm really glad you're here. If you're worshiping online and you're all by yourself in your pajamas, put on a coat and go next door and knock on the door and say, I'm really glad you're in my neighborhood. Say hello. Say their name. Find out their name. Find out who they are. Just one person. Find out one person you don't know. Say their name. Oh, it's a happy church here. All right, everybody be seated. That's enough. That's enough friendliness. <laughs> the extroverts I've completely lost. They're like, no, we're going to keep talking. It's, oh, it's so nice to meet you. You're learning their life story. You're getting the whole deal, right? The room just changed, did you notice? How do you feel right now compared to how you felt two minutes ago? I can tell you there's way more smiles right now. There's more joy. What if the Bible's right? What if the wisdom of God's word is still true for us today? Because it is. The research certainly affirms it. It says when you do what you just did and you make a habit of it, and you care enough about not just being heard, that might be one of the things that needs to change. Stop talking at people all the time. Start wanting to get to know them instead of just telling your story. Genuinely care. Say, God, give me a heart for this person. Let me want to know this person's story. Give me that kind of love for this person. Man, it changes our disposition. It changes our spirit. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we function. It gets all the different, you know, endorphins and stuff going in our head. It makes us happier, which makes us healthier, which causes us to live longer. This is so simple. It's so essential. And it's so biblical. And it is a habit of highly effective Christians that they will never give up because they know how important it is. And if you aren't one who's picked up this habit yet, today's the day when you take a step. Today is the day when you start. Those who believed that day, Acts chapter 2, were baptized and added to the church, about 3,000 in all. Mega church. How am I ever going to find my place here in this church? I'm glad you asked. Step four, find a hope group. We've got small groups and life groups, and Eric Payton, a leader of our groups, is right over there. Hi, Eric. Wave, Eric. There's Eric. Eric runs the whole show, and, and it's great. We're simplifying it. We're just going to call everything a hope group now. You can call it whatever you want, but as far as we're concerned, it's a hope group. Do you have a hope group? A men's group, a women's group, a youth group, a, a, you know, our whole confirmation ministry. We have probably the biggest confirmation junior high ministry in North America. It's intimidating for a sixth grader to walk into this room and see a sea of other sixth graders. Oh my gosh, how am I ever going to fit in? Where am I ever going to find my place? Immediately that first night, we get those sixth graders into groups, and the seventh graders and the eighth graders. So they do the large group worship, just like Acts 2, and then they do the small group koinonia, just like Acts 2. It's a habit of highly effective Christians. Don't let the kids have all the fun. 
It's time for you who are adults to do the same. Find your family within this megachurch. Find your group and your point of connection. Every Tuesday here in West Des Moines, check your campus or local site for their schedule. Every campus is doing kind of uh, some version of this or another. Every Tuesday here in West Des Moines in February, it's a five-week opportunity for anyone looking to get connected to a small group. If you're not ready for in-person, if you're worshiping with us online, we have online options available too for you to connect digitally, at least for the month of February. Some of you are skeptical. You say, I tried groups once, it didn't work. What if you said that about brushing your teeth? I tried brushing my teeth once, I didn't like the toothpaste, so I'm not going to do it anymore. I don't want to be around your breath, that's for sure. <laughs> just because it didn't work once doesn't mean it's a bad idea for you. You just got to find your group, so try it for a month. Try a group. You say, ah, it's just a little intimidating to show up like you did your first year at college and get randomly put into a group of people you don't know. It's actually not that intimidating because everybody's in the same boat. Here's the other thing, though. If you have a group here at Hope and it's sort of fizzled during COVID, you make the call. Get them all back together. Show up on Tuesdays or whatever night your campus is doing something. Show up digitally if, if that's better for people in your group, Zoom calls or whatever it might be. We'll guide you, we'll lead you. We've got the whole program. We've got the teaching set up. We, we've got the group materials. We've got the discussion guides. Try it for five weeks. Try it and find, give yourself an opportunity to find koinonia within this larger church family. If you uh, have an old group, restore it, renew it. If you don't have a group, come and get into a new group. Or if you have some people around here in this church that you'd like to be in a group with, make the invitation. Reach out and say, well, why don't we try that thing in February for, for uh, a month? Let, let's see. Let's, let's get people together we want to be together with. Show up with them. We're not going to make you, not, you know, go with somebody else. Try it. You might like it. It might save your life. It's top of the list essential for happiness and health and longevity. And it's top of the list essential for the quality of your faith. Finally, fifth and finally, don't expect everyone to see what you see. Be patient with the people in your group that are borderline EGRs, extra grace required to love them. If you're in a group that doesn't have an EGR, you're the EGR, right? And so, so whatever it might be, because, because nobody's perfect. The, the people who are in a group with me know that about me. They know that they're not getting perfect Pastor Mike to show up to the group, and he's always going to say the right thing and always do the right stuff. Quite wrong. <laughs> Be patient. Offer grace. Make allowance for each other's faults, God's word says. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. There's your motivation. So in that same vein, you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Don't expect everyone to see it, what you see. Remember Connect the Dots when you're a kid or you are a kid and you're doing Connect the Dots right now during sermon on one of those, here's the disciple Peter, you know, during the message. Man, I love Connect the Dots because as you connected the dots, you went from one to two to three, you start to see the pictures take shape and it's a surprise. You're like, I have no idea what these dots are going to be. I can't see it. But when I start to draw the lines, when I start to connect the dots, it changes things. Too many Christians are disconnected dots. And we wonder why we can't see the vision God has for us. It's because you don't have a household of faith. Same dots connected look like this. You say, that's not the same. Yeah, actually, the closer you look, the more you'll see the dots on the left and the dots on the right are exactly the same. The only difference is they're connected on the right. The lines are drawn in what the Bible calls the household of faith. You start to see what the dots are doing there in the first place. If you insist on doing private religion, your own kind of pursuit of, of spirituality, you're just a dot on the page and you'll never see who God made you to be. Until you start connecting the dots with the world around you. This is koinonia. This is the household of faith. This is who God has called us to be. And it isn't just, you know, warm, fuzzy, hey, you're the best, you're, you're great, everything you do is awesome. Here's a picture of my men's group, or at least four out of the seven of us. We're so bad at taking pictures. This was one of the, one of the very, we've been together over a decade. And there's three others that should be in this picture. I've got a big brother 
that I grew up with and a younger brother that I grew up with, and I love these guys, my, my brothers. I, I love them. We're still close. We're, we still connect. But these guys are my brothers too. When I've been up against it in my life, these are the guys who check in first without me saying, hey, you need to, you need to help. They just do, and I hope I do for them too. This is koinonia. This is life together. And it isn't just being there when people are in need. It's also being there to, you know, hold people back, to hold, to hold people accountable, to say, as my brothers have said to me at different times over the last decade, you know, what you're doing, that's, that's not your best move. That's not of God. That's more you, Mike. And you need to kind of reel it back and, and come back to square with Jesus on this. And I've done the same for them. I mean, I look at these pictures and I think of the other three guys who aren't pictured and every single one of us has been on that hot seat at different times where the rest of the group is like, "Uh uh-uh, no, you can't keep doing that. That's not, that's not, you were made for more. Do you have brothers like this, sisters like this? Do you have people like this who are sincere friends who sometimes will will we'll bring wounds to try out of love to try to pull you back and you know why they're doing it and so you're not offended it's better than kisses from an enemy who poses as one of your friends do you have people like this that you can trust through and through to the, to the very end from from start to finish if you do how wonderful and pleasant it is the bible says psalm 133 how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Because life is tough. All the more reason during this pandemic we need to make these connections. We need to have this koinonia. There's a movie that's on Netflix. See, I'm not against Netflix. And it's okay. There's parts of it that are just really hard to watch, but it's got some big actors. Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, What's that woman's name, Jennifer? the, The Hunger Games... Jennifer Lawrence, she's in there. Uh, the other guy from that other movie's in there too. <laughs> He's great. It's called Don't Look Up. And uh, there's a scene at the end when the world is going to end and they know it. And so what do they do? What did Jesus do when life as he knew it as a human being was ending? He called together his brothers. And he shared a meal around a table like we're going to do right here. So in this movie, which is an incredible metaphor, much to my surprise, there's this one really great actor who is in that other movie. And he's an evangelical Christian. And they usually get just the most shallow kind of portrayals, right? is if there's no complexity to an evangelical Christian, is there's no complexity to a follower of Jesus. They're just, they're just ridiculous. They're always bad, always portrayed in a negative light. This guy's a little more complex, just like we all are. And when it's all said and done, this group of friends realize that if the world's going to end, and it is, there's nothing more important or better that we could do than to sit down around a table and share a meal and to turn to God together and pray. You got the head seat right there, right? Oh. <laughs> You're way too kind, Brenda. Thank you. Big doctor. Hey, cheers, everyone, huh? Cheers. cheers. Love you, baby. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for being here. It's, it's Thank so you. Well, we're not the most religious here in the Mindy household, but um, maybe we, should we say amen? Should we do that? I mean, don't look at me. I don't know how to say that. You just say amen. I don't, because... I got this. I got it. Dearest Father and Almighty Creator, We ask for your grace tonight, despite our pride, your forgiveness, despite our doubt. 
Most of all, Lord, we ask for your love to soothe us through these dark times. May we face whatever is to come in your divine will with courage and open hearts of acceptance. You's got some church game. That was beautiful. That's koinonia. <laughs> and it is beautiful. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how dreary, no matter how frequently we're reminded of our mortality this side of heaven in a fallen, messed up world, all the more reason we need to find the best in life relationships with God and with one another. Take a step forward in that direction today. Make a move toward koinonia. The way Jesus did with his friends at the Last Supper, he knew. He knew he was going to a cross. He knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew he was going to be denied. He knew life in this fallen world isn't perfect. So he gathered his friends around a table for a meal because it doesn't get any better than that. It never gets any better than being able to share love with the people that you're doing life together with. And so I invite you, please, <laughs> doors are wide open around here. And whatever campus or local site you're at, find your community. It won't be perfect. <laughs> it won't be perfect because you're there, right? And it won't be perfect because other people are there too. But it'll be beautiful. It'll be life-giving. It'll bless you. It might even add years to your life. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, broke it, gave thanks, and gave it for all to eat, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the bread. This is the body of Christ given for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. And let's do it in communion with God and with one another. The Bible calls it a foretaste, this communion meal of the heavenly feast to come. Of a meal, well, of course, it's heaven. It's perfect. There's going to be a lot of meals. There's going to be a lot of koinonia. There's going to be a lot of love. There's going to be a lot of grace. There's going to be a lot of togetherness. Again, after supper, Jesus took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all of his friends to drink, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Let's take it together. Hmm. It's just a, just a taste. Just a, just a glimpse of what God has for you. The koinonia, the blessings, the life. So now may the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you all and keep you in his grace unto life everlasting in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.